This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You are on Saturday Magazine with Macca and Paul. Uh, thank you for listening. It is, oh, what are we, 10.34 on Saturday, the 30th of December. Our next guest is Bridget Valance, and Bridget is the shadow spokesperson, shadow minister for industry and tertiary education. But first off, welcome, Bridget. Thanks for having me, Macca. It's great to have you here. Um, I wanted to start off, if I may, to give our our listeners a little bit of a, a flavour of who you are and what your history is, and and I was looking here and I, I see and I thought, oh, God, we've got something to talk about here. Bridget worked for 16 years in the automotive industry, which is where I've worked, and also uh, as a procurement professional in manufacturing and retail sectors. So, of course, Paul will be interested in that. Cause, Absolutely. Because he's a, a grocer with <laughs> C-E-R, not S-S. Um, <laughs> so, first off, what did you do in the automotive industry, Bridget? Uh Thanks so much for having me on, Macca. It's great to be here. Um, in the automotive industry, yeah, 16 years. Uh, first started out in vehicle manufacturing mm-hmm. and then most recently in tyres. Very right. exciting. So tires. Man- manufacturing, yeah. which, which brand you can say it? It's Ford, Ford, Ford. Motor Company. Okay. Yes. So I uh, was lucky enough to get a graduate position at Ford Motor Company, um, but in the um, professional side, so in procurement, right. which is, you know, so no, very simplistically is, is buying uh, bits and pieces that go on the car. So who was the CEO then or the president of Ford Australia when you lived Jeff there? Pilates. Oh, Jeff Pilates. I, I knew Jeff very well. A sad, it's sad kind, loss. It's kind of giving away my age. but yeah. No, but, you know, and he was a huge advocate for local production. And, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and, G'day, Paul. You know, really, you know, created some fantastic skills and experience amongst the workforce and was dearly loved by his workforce. He then went on, uh, got his dream job ultimately to head up Jaguar Land Rover. Mm, yeah, which, which was part of the the, the, the Ford, group. the premium, which years later, later when I used to speak to him and I said, oh, you know, how is it? And he goes, sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, <laughs> you know, because it was, it was a bit of a torrid time there. So in... I mean, coming, coming into uh, as a young person to work at Ford, um, Jeff Pilates, he was the kind of man that would come down and come yes. out into, you know, actually out into the workplace yes. at, at your desk. He'd walk around, you'd, he'd be seen, um, and he had just so much energy and he mm. was he really sparked my, I mean, I was already interested in cars. I, dare I say my uncle had worked at Holden. My uncle oh, okay. had worked at Holden for 35 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, when I got a job at Ford, my from my grandfather down was saying, what are you doing going to, to Ford? We're a Holden family. Um, and I said, well, Grandpa, that's where, and to my uncle, that's that's where I got a job offer. Yeah. Um, but Jeff Pilates was such a, you know, an energetic man and he really made everyone there totally excited about 
what we did, the product. Mm. Um, he had a program for us as graduates. So, you know, whether you were in finance or um, HR or procurement as I was, um, we had to actually go down and work on the line. On the line, yes. For two weeks. Uh, because at the end of the day, from Jeff Pilates' perspective, that's what we did. We made cars. Uh, and so as uh, young professionals in the organisation, he wanted us to know what it was like working on the line, the monotony of the job, you know. Mm. I got to screw in uh, audio speakers into doors for two weeks. Right. Uh, so, you Isn't know. it amazing how all great mentors, I mean, I, I've got a very similar story, that all great mentors seem to take on younger professionals and push them right into the floor. And I remember graduating thinking, oh, I haven't spent three years at university to go and work on a, literally on a shop floor, you know, yeah. and stack the shelves. But that's such a great grounding to understand, you know, the realities of how to manage further in your career. And I think there's a great, um, you know, from every industry you see that, that a great mentor comes in and actually takes the young people and says, actually, take a step back. And I think one of the <clears throat> things that's interesting about that, Bridget, is so being in, in procurement, you'd actually see firsthand on the production line the parts that had been procured and, you know, that often, <clears throat> excuse me, in a lot of automotive companies, there are challenges on the production line that don't always get back to procurement. Mm. So making a part that's easy to fit and that's it's logical, you know, is a really important thing. That one I think that Jeff, he took a, a whole of business approach. Yeah, and we would really work in teams across production, engineering, uh, and procurement. So if there was a, for example, there was a, uh, I, there was a period of time where I bought all our exterior plastic mouldings. Right. So your bumper bars, your skid yep. plates, your spoilers. Back in the day when we had spoilers on the, uh, you know, XR8 Falcons. Um, and all the sexy stuff. Yeah, yeah, the cool stuff. Um, <laughs> Interesting, you know, my surname is Valance. We, I also bought a Valance, which yes. is like the skirting around yeah. the, the side of the car. Um, but uh, there was this bumper bar and the supplier had slightly changed the plastic comp composition or compound, probably either cost-saving or mm. some, you know, for some reason, um, and it was buckling. So when they were putting putting that onto the car, it was buckling. And so we sort of all went down into the plant to with the engineers yep. who actually designed the bumper bar through to the supplier, the production team and us as procurement because, of course, it was up to us to negotiate those the commercial side of that um, and also to hold the suppliers to account if they'd sort of made any changes to what the specification was. So it was really interesting and I absolutely loved my time at Ford. Um, sometimes I still talk as if I'm at Ford. Yes. I really, really did love being in manufacturing uh, and making a product that really makes a difference to people's lives. Some people use a car to get from A to B and other people use it, you know, as part of the way that they identify. So yeah. I really loved that time. And then uh, many, many years later, I worked at Goodyear Tyres, yep. so two big American companies, uh, but Goodyear Tyres uh, really with our retail side, so Bow Repairs and Goodyear Auto Care in terms of the, the retail tyre fitting for both passenger vehicles uh, and trucks uh, and, um, you know, right from fitting out a, you know, you go to a Bow Repairs or a Goodyear Auto Care sort of, sort of making the shop look what it what, yes. like what it is, so fitting it out through to the tyre changing machines, the wheel aligners, um, the uniforms the guys wore and the fleet of vehicles that okay. they drove around. So, yeah. So in terms of, of procurement, there's always a desire, um, you know, to keep the, 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 the cost down as much as possible. When you gave that example of the bumper bar where perhaps the supplier, unknown to you, as the as the, the the original equipment manufacturer 
was not aware that it had been changed and they did it to save some money. They must have been interesting discussions when you go, well, why is this now buckling? And then you worked out why. Was that, a, was that always a good discussion? Yeah, it was. Interestingly, it was very collaborative. I mean, uh, OEMs, original uh, equipment manufacturers, which automotive companies mm. uh, are known as, uh, are known as sort of really leading the way in terms of procurement and, and you know, knuckling suppliers down and cost reductions and all yeah. of those things and setting that expectation for suppliers right through the supply chain to look at the way uh, that they produce and their cost structures and trying to get that cost down. Because at the end of the day, the end consumer, the person buying the car, wants to get a good deal yeah. and it's very competitive in the car industry or any product. Um, but equally, you need to what – we, what I found when I worked at Ford, it was very collaborative with the suppliers. We really worked – you know, they were different companies, but mm. we really worked as a team um, because uh, their businesses relied on on us to do so. So we really worked as a team uh, in a collaborative way. And I think, again, you know, that, that having the laser focus on cost but on the detail and then – so you also worked uh, in retail. Mm. What did you do there? So in retail, it was still in procurement, but for uh, Goodyear and Bow Repairs and our retail footprint right across. So most recently, I headed up procurement for uh, Goodyear Tyres and Goodyear's, uh, Goodyear's retail footprint right across Asia. So particularly Goodyear Auto Care, uh, we had, you know, we had about 300 odd stores in yep. Australia, but we actually had opening about 200 to 300 stores in China every oh, month. Oh, wow. So whether you oh look at yeah, I know. <clears throat> so you know we had our retail footprint um, in uh, right across uh, right across uh, well right across the world, but really where I was responsible for was um, our retail tire fitting stores, both passenger vehicles and trucks uh, across Asia. And as I said, uh, the growth in India and China particularly mm. was immense. Very very competitive there. But to set up a, a Goodyear Auto Care, you would be obviously fitting out the store, making it look like a Goodyear auto key with all of the signage on the outside. Um, and uh, so so really that was the retail side of it. Um, very dynamic, much different to production, yeah. you know, production of a vehicle where you, you're designing a car, doing prototypes, manufacturing. It's a sort of a three to four year life cycle. Um, retail is much more dynamic much and much, much more competitive. Um, Bridget, we're going to take a quick break because we've got to pay some bills. But when we come back, we want to ask you what have you, what made you then jump from your old career into politics? We want to try and find out, you know, what was the driver behind that? Victoria's Big Build is building big this summer. Tunnelling is complete on the Westgate Tunnel and we're undertaking critical maintenance on the Westgate Bridge. While we work, three city-bound lanes on the Westgate Bridge are closed from the 26th of December to the 4th of January. Lanes and ramps on the Westgate Freeway are closed from mid-January. Wurundjeri Way is also closed from mid-January. Significant delays are expected. Check before you travel at bigbuild.vic.gov.au. You'll listen to Saturday Magazine with Paul and Macca on the 30th of December. Macca. Thanks, Paul. And our guest is Bridget Valance, the Shadow Minister for Skills and... What else? <laughs> uh, industry, industry, innovation, skills and training, tertiary education and manufacturing. Right, which actually feeds, you know, obviously is fed into your, your previous career, mm. you know, in manufacturing and, and procurement and how important skills are. I wanted to ask Bridget, so after 
those really fascinating, interesting and fulfilling jobs, <laughs> what possessed you, uh, and I ask this of all parliamentarians, to stand for parliament? It's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess there's two main reasons why. In my professional background working in industry, in manufacturing, I absolutely love manufacturing, uh, working in manufacturing and working, um, having a procurement background uh, was probably one of the reasons, and I'll get to you know why that is, but um, it's – so governments spend a lot of money. Yeah. You know, governments have an exceptionally – big budget, they spend a lot of money, they do a lot of procurement, uh, whether that's fixing, you know, a dangerous traffic intersection through to shade sales at a school, building a hospital or building the Westgate Tunnel. Uh, they do procurement all of the time and I think that they could do a better job. And I really felt that my procurement expertise, my business, my commercial skills uh, is something that I could offer um, to... Yeah, something that I could offer, really. I think I I think um, I can be stand corrected, but I think I'm the only parliamentarian in the Victorian Parliament that actually has this kind of procurement commercial expertise. And so uh, I really want to be able to hold the government to account on the way that it conducts its tenders and commercial tenders. Um, and, uh, you know, should we have the opportunity of being in government, make sure that we spend Victorian taxpayers' money wisely. And the other reason, so that's one reason, and the other reason is, look, I live, uh, the electorate that I represent is uh, called Evelyn. It's from Lilydale and Moralbark out through to the Yarra right. Valley. And it's an absolutely beautiful part of the world uh, where my partner and I raise our two children. Um, the Yarra Valley, look, you've got strawberries, cherries, wine, uh, what's not to love about the Yarra Valley? It's a beautiful part of the world and I actually, um, to have the the honour and the privilege of representing our community is, was something, was an opportunity that was tough to pass up. Uh, so it was great to be able to have, um, yeah, you know, represent my community and get the best possible outcomes for the Yarra Valley community. So I've got to ask you, how did you find the transition from a normal working job into the maelstrom of the house? What were your first impressions, Bridget? Um, very it, it, different to it's business. It's a zoo, isn't it? It's a bit of a zoo. <laughs> very different to business. So, look, in a business environment, you have an issue, you have a problem. Uh, like we were talking in, uh, prior to the break, uh, there's a problem on the production line. You get all of the right people around, you assess what the issue is, uh, and you come up with a solution to try to solve that problem and move on. Well, in government, things are much slower. So I find, found that a little bit frustrating at the start, that you see that there's a problem. For example, you know, I'll talk about my local community. We have a number of dangerous roads and being a, 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 a car, car enthusiast, yes. uh, Mackie, you would know that if you're driving out on the Maroondah Highway or the Warburton Highway or the Melba Highway, um, these are challenging roads and, uh, you know, you want to be able to... Um, fix these roads. We've had, sadly, had some fatalities. We have a, a number of crashes on these roads. Um, it makes sense to me to just allocate some funding and get those roads upgraded for the safety of all the, the motorists, the locals, uh, the truck transport. But to be able to actually get that outcome is so frustrating and such a slow process. Um, and there's many other unnecessary, um, you know, factors in the way, politics and all of these things. It's not a government seat, these kind of ridiculous things. At the end of the day, these are Victorians and we, they should be able to drive safely on these roads. So to get that outcome of fixing a, a dangerous road mm. is so... 
slow and complicated. Slow process. Uh, And that was probably one of the frustrations, Um, getting information, getting the right people around the table who who are decision makers to make decisions. Um, Accountability and transparency. Uh, So they are lacking. Um, And for me, that's frustrating because in the private sector, uh, you have to be transparent. You have to be accountable for the decisions you make. Uh, And I found that's a little bit uh, different. Um, Are you happy you made the move? Yes, um, it's it's a great privilege. Uh, it's challenging. I'm certainly not going to to fib and say it's easy every day. I can't go to the supermarket without you know someone stopping on your shoulder. Five or ten people stopping. Add another thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I go to watch my kids play footy uh, on the weekend, and you know. I'm try to just be a mum sometimes, but people will come up and say, oh, Bridget, you know, how's such and such going or what can we do about this issue or can't we get rid of the government or whatever they might say. Um, and so it is it is challenging, uh, but it's a great privilege. You know, if you, I think I used to say you can make, um, you can complain about the government from the sidelines, but really unless you put your hand up and get in mm. and get involved, it's the only way that you can truly um, be influential. Mm. And you can have influence even from opposition. Uh, obviously it would be much you know, much more uh, uh, desirable to be in government. But it's, it's to be able to help people. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things we do behind the scenes. Uh, for example, people who are experiencing homelessness, um, women fleeing domestic violence, you know, to be able to help them uh, access housing, to be able to p- help people get uh, onto, um, you know, get surgery when, you know, when they've been in desperate need and have had significant need to have surgery but they've had it cancelled and you're able to help them get that surgery appointment um, so that they can live a better and healthier life. You know, if you do those things behind the scenes, if you can help people and there's many instances where you don't broadcast them, no one knows, you just help people quietly, um, it's it's just a wonderful thing. Mm. Maka. So I wanted to uh, touch, Bridget, on, you know, your expertise at the reason you entered Parliament and, you know, you're in opposition and opposition policies are different in a lot of ways to the government's policies in the areas that you're the shadow minister for. What's the, the main difference that, that you see um, between the opposition policies and the government's policy in this area? Um, well, I think with uh, industry and manufacturing, really, you know, we actually support industry and business, you know, small and medium businesses particularly are such an important part of our economy. Uh, and too often I think that the government is making life harder for these uh, smaller and medium businesses in our economy. Uh, you only have to look at some of the independent analysis by, say, the Victorian Chamber of Commerce, Becky, that says Victoria is the hardest place to do business in the country. You know, um, not only do individuals and households have to deal with this, but also businesses have the highest taxes in the country um, and the, the highest cost of living or cost of business in the country. Uh, and really, we need to support these smaller and medium businesses because they um, generate a lot of economic activity. Mm. They create a lot of jobs. Uh, and if they are struggling uh, struggling to stay afloat and potentially close, or they want to invest and grow and they look to do that elsewhere, say in Queensland, then we're not keeping that economic activity here. So I think that's a key difference to the way that we would look to support uh, businesses um, as key economic drivers of our economy. Uh, when it comes, yeah, I mean, that, so that's probably one of the key differences. So 
In, in terms of in the skills area, we all we all know, you know, um, Joy is predominantly a, a volunteer organisation and we rely on a very, very broad range of skills. And it's the same in, in industry. That And we often hear from people that uh, getting people uh, with the right skills for the employment opportunities that they have uh, is increasingly difficult. You know, take COVID out of the equation, that exacerbated it. But even before that, it was difficult. So as the opposition shadow, what would you do or what would you be advocating for in the skills area that you think would make that better? I mean, bearing in mind it's a very long piece of string, but what would you do? Skills is a particular challenge for our economy at the moment. We are in a skills crisis. I know that sounds like a bit of a a term, but that is a reality. And as you say, Maka, right across every industry sector, we have skills shortages. And even the government you know, government's own figures says that we have skills shortages. We have something like, you know, their, their figures say something like 375,000 workers short by 2025, yet there's no plan. Mm. Um, I think we need to have a plan. We need to have, you know, bring together people from the education, the tertiary uh, and education sectors and industry and bring them together and actually identify, um, you know, they're at the coalface. They're the ones that know uh, what... Um, what young people and, and people need and also industry knows the kinds of skills that they need for, for the current jobs now and also for the jobs of the future. So uh, I think we need a much more industry-led approach and making sure that we bridge that gap between education and industry because it's all very well and good, um, some people going in and, and you know doing a course at uh, TAFE or university but then coming out and not being able to utilize, you know, or, ha- or not having the right skills for the jobs that are available now or into the future, mm. or getting into work and then the workplace is actually you don't have the requisite skills and we need to train you up more. And I think that's a real challenge for young people, be- particularly because they want to get out of uh, the tertiary education system and get into work and feel like they're getting some runs on the board. Yeah. And at this stage, if we don't have that, then we've got a- an issue. And so we need to get back to the basics and find out what is it um, that is uh, what what is that gap and how do we solve it and I do really feel that having education and industry work together and that government really be the facilitator of that not dictating what the courses should be but facilitating that because that would be the best approach. Yeah, I was. Sorry, you're going to go, Matt. No, no, you go, Paul. I was going to say, and it's also difficult, you know, how do you balance off what does the medical profession need versus what do the trades need versus, you know, what perhaps we might need in manufacturing? So, you know, you've got a whole bunch of students in education. If you want to pull some strings with grants, et cetera, you know, which, which one do you pull to make sure in five years' time you've got the right pool of resources? So that must also be a complicated pull because every industry is going to come to you, Bridget, and say, actually, if you were in government, our industry deserves your support more than the next. Well, government's responsible for things like, say, public education, um, healthcare. You know, these are some of the areas that we are seeing skills shortages in right now, um, as well as emergency services, police uh, and construction. Uh, to have construct, you know, to have the, the government with a big build program, but a significant shortage of construction workers, there's an issue here. So they do actually need to find a way to work out how we can um, make sure that we've got enough people, enough enough locals skilled to, to do these jobs. Healthcare, uh, ed teachers. We need to make sure we're incentivising and exciting young people to get into these um, courses so that they actually can 
get on the jobs. And it's not just the, you know, there might be some more innovative ways that we can do this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, interest in micro-credentialing, for example. People who have a lot of skills but might, might just need um, some top-up. Micro-credentialing. Uh, the- <laughs> I've not heard that term before. Micro-credentials. So, you know, there might be ways where some people have a great, set of skills but just might need something additional in order to do teaching for example um uh, and uh, and so that's an, a new avenue that really I think is emerging that we could look at a little because that means that they would be able to be skilled to be in the job more quickly uh we're nearly out of time Bridget I wanted to uh to ask that clearly uh you know, this is a, a LGBTQIA plus radio station and we're pretty passionate about what we do and we're pretty passionate about equality. Sometimes I think that your party is not totally on board with what we as a, we as a community expect and what we expect is equality. You know, there are some portions of your party that are not our friends uh, and other portions of your party that are our friends you know, including your leader and James Newbury and David Southwick and a whole lot of others that are our friends. How do we, or how do you as a shadow minister, what's your, how would you define equality? That everyone is treated equally. Mm. Um, And I think it's one of the strong values that I have is equality, uh, that everyone is treated equally, uh, fairly, and we have equality of opportunity. Um, and it's a strong value of mine that, you know, I, I like to see in everything that we do. And so when you look at your the portfolios that I'm responsible for uh, and the policies that we'll develop from time to time or the way that we might hold the government to account, um, it's making sure that we're looking at that through that lens of equality. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how I see it, Macca. Yeah. I mean, I do feel sometimes, as I said, that... Um, we're not, um, we're not treat or in some of the policies and whether it's around birth certificates, adoption, uh, issues that our community is passionate about. And, you know, some of your colleagues say the most dreadful things about us and particularly about trans folk. What do you say to them? Well, I think everyone should be open and listen. Uh, at the end of the day, we're representatives of our community and we're only best placed to represent our community if we're actually listening to all of the voices. Um, and that's both, that that's, doesn't matter where, whether it's people from a, an ethnic diverse background or, um, you know, from your community, the queer community. We need to be able to listen to everyone uh, and make sure that everyone feels uh, rep- represented and represented in an equal fashion. And so that's that's the key. You know, okay. I think you've got to make sure that when we look at policies, when we look at current issues or how we set uh, the state up for success in the future, that we're making sure everyone feels included. You know, we have inclusive policies and I would encourage everyone who's, you know, in in the in the public sector and looking to represent people that we look to represent people equally. Now, you've got a fan here, not... Uh, one of our listeners, a politician who doesn't spend the whole interview bagging the other party and talks sense as an informative. Bridget is a one-off. There you go. High praise indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, Bridget. Bridget Valence, thank you so much for giving up some of your Saturday. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, love to have you back next year and talk some more. It's always great to have members of parliament in the studio 
where we can eyeball each other. It uh, it does make a difference. Got sport today. Sport for the boys. Yeah. No. Cr- no. As, yeah. They they do have a break. My my boys play cricket. Uh, have a break for a couple of weeks back in uh, early to mid January, I think. Cool. So uh, yeah, just back. But they, you know, home sport. Home they'll sport. Be, is they'll good. they'll be playing. Wanted to play shoot some hoops at home. I think. Great. Once again, Bridget, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming in and thanks for having a chat with us. Hope you have uh, a nice rest of the year. There's only a day and a bit left, but uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the new year. Happy new, new, happy new year to you and to all of the listeners. Happy New Year. Cheers. Thanks, Bridget. You are on Sat Mag with Macker and Paul. Stay with us. There's more. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.